Let's go ahead and uh, get started. We started last time talking about the Lord's Supper, and we talked specifically about what it is that in the Lord's Supper we eat Christ's body and we drink Christ's blood, and that we can't explain how it happens, we can't scientifically prove it, we can't uh, dissect the bread and find the body somewhere hidden in there, but that it is a miracle of God that he does through the power of his word. Um, we talked about how some tried to explain it using uh, medieval philosophy and ancient philosophy through using Aristotle, and that's the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation. And we also talked about... Um, the Reformed view, which tries to use human reason as well to explain that um, it just represents the body and the blood, but that Christ is in heaven and he can't, he can't get out, if you will. Uh, and so any questions about those two other views or what we believe? No? All right. We're also, uh, the other thing we need to talk about is... Um, closed communion, and I think maybe we've just barely briefly talked about that. There are two things happening in the Lord's Supper. The first thing is God giving his gifts, and we talk about that in a vertical way. God makes his body and blood present in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Uh, that's his work. The second one thing that's happening is it is a confession of faith between uh, all of us united together when we go up to receive it, that we are uh, united in one faith, and uh, we all believe the same thing. And um, that's 1 Corinthians 10, especially. The cup of blessing we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. And uh, Paul goes on not very long after that and says also, let a man or person examine themselves before they eat the body and blood. And for those reasons and what Paul says there, we practice closed communion. Closed communion is saying that we want all the people who come to our altar to be on the same page theologically. And this is for, um, for the good of those who come. And it's kind of like, I think maybe last time I used the example of a pharmacy, right? Maybe? Okay. <laughs> One, one person remembers it. Uh, we talked about a pharmacy and how we can't just go to a pharmacy and get whatever drugs we want, uh, but rather we have to have a prescription, we have to be examined by a doctor, we have to know that we're ill with a particular thing before they give us a particular type of drug uh, for the good of the person. The same thing is true with the Lord's Supper. We want people to coming up to know what they're getting so they don't eat and drink Christ's body and blood to their own damnation, uh, forsaking what God has said in his word. And uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that that's the reason some had died among those in Corinth is because um, they weren't recognizing what they were really getting there in the Lord's Supper. We don't want anybody to come up there and to die. And when Paul's saying that, he's not just talking about death at the end of life. He's also talking about their faith dying and therein lies the the issue we don't want people's faith to be hurt or harmed um, 
when they come to Lord's Supper. We want the Lord's Supper to strengthen the faith and to give forgiveness of sins. So when someone denies that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper, we ask them not to come up until we have an opportunity to sit down and talk and say, hey, this is what we believe and why, and they can say with us, okay, that makes sense. When someone denies that they're a sinner, uh, and they say, you know, I don't really need this forgiveness of sin thing, we ask them not to come until they examine themselves and realize the need that they have. Uh, and then we say, yeah, come up and get, get the forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Supper. When someone says, um, I, I don't believe baptism does anything, we ask them not to come to the Lord's Supper until we have an opportunity to talk and visit about it and make sure we are on the same page. We never are ever doing this to say, you know, you're not a Christian uh, and you're going to go to hell forever. We do it saying, we're not quite on the same page. Let's sit down and visit about it so that we get on the same page. And that's essentially what this class is for too, right? Um, so we can all be on the same page theologically, believe the same thing, hopefully according to what God's word says as we distribute the gifts. Questions about that so far? Could you maybe go a bit more in depth as to how taking communion without uh, believing in Christ's body and blood, how that can be such a severe judgment on someone? Because I know you kind of briefly mentioned it, but if you could, I'm trying to understand how it's such a severe judgment, I guess. Yeah, how is that a judgment uh, against people? And what we have to do there is to look at the words of Paul. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, um, and make sure here, let me look it up here. Here's the words of Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, it starts at verse 23. For what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night was betrayed, took bread, and has the words of institution here, gave thanks, broke it, said, this is my body, in the same way he took the cup, this is my blood. Uh, for as often as you eat and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, that first section there, we see Paul say that this is not Paul's teaching. It's not something Paul invented, but rather Paul received these words from where? Jesus. Yeah, from the Lord Jesus. What I received from the Lord, now I'm passing on to you. Okay, so this is uh, what Jesus is teaching that Paul is telling us. All right, and then it goes on in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Okay, what's he saying there? If, if we had an atheist who was visiting church with their uncle just to be nice, and they came up to the Lord's Supper just because their uncle is, and ate and drank the body and blood um, just because everybody else was doing it, what did Paul say there is their state before God for eating and drinking in that way. He says, They're guilty of profaning the body and blood. Yeah, they're guilty 
concerning the body and blood of the Lord, uh, profaning the body and blood of the Lord. They're guilty. Um, what is the goal of church? Why do we come to church? Why did I become a pastor? Forgiveness of sins. No, you're wrong, because I like telling people to go to hell, right? No, just <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're right the first time. A, a pastor's job is to distribute the forgiveness of sins. And so when that person comes up un, in an unworthy manner, not knowing what they're getting, not in fellowship with the body that's with them, when they come up there and they eat and drink unworthily, whatever that might be, they're guilty. Is that what my goal as a pastor is, is to make sure that guilty people know they're guilty and go to hell where they belong? No. no. Is that the goal of God? He wants people to go to hell. That's why, that's why he created the world, because he could send everyone to hell where they belong. No. What's God want? He wants you all in heaven. He wants all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. And so, for that reason, we want that person not to just come up willy-nilly. We want to have a conversation about it. And what happens in a conversation about it? What do we talk about? What have we talked about these last couple months? Jesus. Jesus. We've given you lots of pieces of paper with lots of Bible passages on there so we can hear the word. And by hearing the word, Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hopefully faith comes about. And when the faith is there and the understanding of what the scripture's teaching is there, then we say, come to the Lord's Supper. Because then you're not guilty, but instead you're receiving the forgiveness of sins. Paul goes on and he says in verse 28, let a man or a person, uh, the word there, it doesn't just mean man, it means mankind. Let a, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Uh, because they are eating and drinking without discerning, without um, having a worthy fashion um, when they come to the Lord's Supper. Now, what is the worthy fashion? If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. What does it mean to judge oneself truly? If you were to look at what God's word says about you, what's it say? That we're sinful. That we're sinful and we deserve hell and damnation. And that's who we are. And furthermore, what's God's word say about the body and blood? That it is in the bread and in the wine. And if we take God at his word and not imply our own judgment, not our own reasoning, not our own uh, understanding to these things, and we come to the altar, we're free to eat and drink for forgiveness of sins. When we bring our own understanding, our own opinion about ourselves, we say, I'm not that bad. I know that, uh, uh, you know, Wayne, he's worse than me. Um, when we do that, we're not taking God at his word, and therein lies the guilt in the Lord's Supper. And I don't even know if I'm making any sense here. Well, that, that makes sense. So, so essentially, it's making a mockery of God. Yeah, denying his word, what it says. Yeah. And, and a few years back, I worked with a guy who 
his wife decided to start going to church uh, as a Catholic, and he was upset because they wouldn't let him partake in communion. Like, what's the big deal? So how do you respond to someone who, who has that mindset? I mean, just kind of briefly, in a pithy statement, what can you say to someone who, that, well, you can't just go up there and just start taking it. You have to, so what do you say to somebody like that? Well, I didn't really know what to say at that point. Right. The assumption is that we do not want the person to come. The reality is we want people to come, but what do we do first? I, I like to, uh, to shoot guns and to hunt animals and things like that, okay? If I go to, um, I can't remember the name of the place, it's out on Sun Valley Boulevard, Sure Shot or... Big shots. Big shots. There we go. I knew it was shot. You go to big shots. Before they let you go back and shoot your gun, what do they make you do first? A safety course. A safety course video. Make sure you're not going to hurt yourself or someone else in the shooting range. They want you to come and shoot the gun because that's how they make their money. But before they do it, they have a safety course. When you uh, learn to go hunting, before the state of Nebraska lets you go and shoot a deer, which they want you to do because that's how they make money, what do they make you do first? Safety course. Safety course, hunter safety, right? Uh, when you get a new job, um, for example, when I was a kid, I worked at Super Saver. And uh, Super Saver, they had a the, all the cardboard boxes, they put them in this machine that crushed them down so that they could palletize them and get them out of the store faster. Before I could push the button on the cardboard machine, what did they have to do? Safety course. Safety course. Why? So you don't get, so you so don't get crushed to death. So right, and turn into a bale of cardboard or whatever. <laughs> That's the same thing we're doing. We want people to come, but we want them to know what they're getting. We want them to be in our confession of faith and to comprehend the great gift of the God. And the reason we, we enforce it is because that's what Scripture says, St. Paul's words here. Um, we want people to come to the Lord's Supper. We want them to be in our confession of faith and united in the body of Christ with us. The reality is in this sinful world... Not everyone will be. And that doesn't mean the person who is not united in our confession of faith is going to hell. It just means we're not completely on the same page on all the theology and doctrine. And that's sad, but it's the truth of sin. I have a quick question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, was at a wedding this year with Missouri Synod couple. Um, parents and the groom was Missouri Synod, the bride was Catholic and it was in a Catholic church yeah. the Lutheran people went up, the groom did not but the parents went up and had uh, communion Yeah. so um, what would, how would you gently <laughs> share with them because that's the other side of it right the closed communion on the one hand, where we probably deal with it more often than not, is people coming to our altar who are not in the same confession of faith. We have that same responsibility when we go other places as well. So you have a good example there, Catholics, right? Who believe that because of ancient philosophy written by Aristotle 350 years before Jesus, that they understand how this is happening. Um, 
which we would disagree with that philosophy. Additionally, and we didn't touch on this too long because trying to get us done here in the next couple weeks. Sorry. That's okay. Additionally, the Catholic Church also believes that when the priest sacrifices the Mass or says the, the words of institution, that they are, um, I'm going to say it with, with words that make sense rather than the exact words they use, they are representing Christ as a sacrifice on that altar right there and earning forgiveness points, if you will, for particular people, which we really have an issue with theologically. This is why when a person dies, they, you can give money to the church and have masses said for that person. And what it would be was a priest would go into a side chapel and would say the words of institution and eat bread and drink wine. Um, and that the points, the forgiveness that's earned in that mass count for someone who is in purgatory. Uh, we strongly disagree with that because we believe Christ forgives everybody clearly and freely. Um, upon the cross, and there's no way we can add or subtract from that. So when we go to a Catholic church, if we go up to the altar, we're confessing that we agree with that teaching, both how the Lord's Supper is present, and then also what is it doing, and we don't. And so then we're really kind of lying to ourselves about a fellowship that does not really exist. So would you... Just mention something like maybe they should check with their pastor. Yes, that would be a good, good starting point. And if their pastor said it's fine, then say, well, maybe you explain that, you know, that did you know that they believe this about the Lord's Supper? Because um, most people don't believe that, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what you guys think. But when I die, I don't believe there's purgatory. Um believe Christ is clear that we either are in heaven or hell and that I'm going to be in heaven and there's nothing that my family can do to add or subtract from that. And I, picking on Catholics here, right? It, Catholics have a lot of guilt in that regard. Anybody Catholic or former Catholic? No? Okay. Catholics have a lot of guilt. Uh, I know a lady whose mom died and the lady had been kind of talking about, well, I think I'm going to become Lutheran. My husband's Lutheran. I'm going to join your church. But once her mom died, the priest went to her and said, now it's up to you. You need to say the rosary every day. You need to be in church every day. You need to pay, buy some masses so that your mom will get out of purgatory sooner and into heaven. And this, this woman felt a lot of guilt about that because she didn't want her mom in purgatory. She wanted her mom in heaven. And that's terrible and shameful. So they still do reparations? Yes. I thought that was over and done with. That's even when a, a Catholic passes away the night before they get together at the nursing home or I guess it might be at the church I don't know how they do it here in Lincoln. And they, everybody prays the rosary together. Mm -hmm. You've been to one of those? No. That's all to get 
points built up for the person who died so that they get out of purgatory and into heaven. Yeah, my dad was killed in, in a truck accident, and my sister and brother are Catholic. And, um, yeah, they, they really highly suggested you get in and, and participate with the masses. And I'm like, no, sorry. They were not happy with me. Right. But, you know, and then my mom was, like, torn because she was like, ah, you know, she was in stress right there. So, but, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I had a member who whose husband was Catholic that passed away, and she was Lutheran, and uh, the priest talked her into a $5,000 donation to the Catholic Church to try and get her husband out of purgatory quicker. Yeah. And what do you... When your loved one just died and you want comfort and to know where they are and what, what's happened to them, <laughs> you do it. Yeah. And it's sad. So that's that's a side. I don't know if I answered your original yes, question. Yes, okay. You, you did. I just, I, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take up your time. But no, yes. no, not a problem. Yeah. Going to the Reformed side, uh, they think that the Lord's Supper is mainly in remembrance. Yes. But if it is just a remembrance, why can you eat and drink to your harm? Well, what would they say you mean about that? What would they say? They, they would... I hate to speak for all of them because there's so many different things, but generally, they would not focus on that part of the Scripture. And they would focus instead on those words, do this in remembrance of me. Um, when I was a kid, we even, they, they, we didn't go up to the altar for communion. They took it out and passed it up and down the pew and everybody could take it. And you actually held on to it in the pew until the pastor said, do this in remembrance of me. And then you ate and drank. And it was, anybody could come up and do it no matter what. Um, because all it was was remembering. And if you weren't remembering the right way, then it, once again, you could say it wasn't counting points for you. Um, and that was each between each of you and God, and it wasn't the pastor or the church's responsibility. So they wouldn't worry about those particular words. So, in other words, the Reformed and the Catholics have more in common with us. Right. The ancient saying that was popularized during the time of the Roman Empire and then has been kind of taken over as a, a truth in the church is that all roads lead to Rome. And, and the reason is, is because all religions, except for what scripture teaches, ultimately have something that is up to you to do to save yourself. They are different in what that particular thing might be. The Catholics say you say masses for the dead and you pray the right prayers and you receive the sacraments the right way. When you do those things, then you get to be saved. The Reformed say when you accept Jesus, when you live a holy life, when you um, pray the sinner's prayer. I don't know if that's as popular as it used to be. When you do those things, then you are 
getting yourself in the door. We say, I believe by my own reason or strength that I cannot believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. It's all God's work. It's all his gift. There's nothing that I can add or subtract um, from that, what he has done for us. So yes. And even Peeper in his Christian dogmatics, if you uh, read those, I think it's even towards the beginning, he would say there's only two religions in the whole world. Uh, the religion that you do something to make God happy and the religion where God does everything to save you. Um, and therein lies the distinction. If you start to think about it, it really, you can see that. How do, how do Muslims get saved? What's that? Killing people. Well, they can, yeah. They have a, a list of... You, you make the Hajj, right, where you go visit Mecca once in your life. You give 10% of your money to the mosque. Every day you say their creed, which is there is no... God, but God, and Muhammad is his prophet. And if I think there's seven of the things. If you do those seven things every day, then you get saved. Um, how do Buddhists get saved? Works. They meditate long enough that they discover what true enlightenment is so they don't have to be reincarnated as something. They can pass on to become one with the universe. Uh, how are Mormons saved? They have these special rites that you go through in the temple. You wear the magic underwear, and I know they don't call it magic underwear, but um, they, they have this special pair of underwear that they can never take off. Um, and, if, and they don't drink caffeine, even though they own Pepsi or whatever it is. They don't smoke. Um, they do these things, and if they do those things good enough, then they get saved. And if you do them extra good, then you can become a god of your own planet and populate it with your spirit babies. So, ladies, that's only for the men. You can only go if your god husband invites you up into his world, and then you get to be eternally pregnant with spirit babies to populate your world. Right. She's like, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> no, just teasing. <laughs> I mean, all of them have, it's up to you somehow. And if we read the scriptures and we see what the scripture says, it's actually the other way. It's completely up to God. And I, this is what the sermon this morning is, is, is about. It's grace alone. God saves. He dies for all. And those who believe are by are in faith by His grace, and um, He we can't add or subtract to that. It's tough to wrap our minds around, but that's the reality of what Scripture teaches. So they don't pay any attention to the word to tell us die. They wouldn't take it the same way that we take it. And like once again, we can go through all of them. The Catholics would say, Jesus, when he says, it is finished, to tell us die, he means your original sin is forgiven. But now you've got to pay for your actual sin. Um, the, lots of the Reformed, and like I said, there are so many different ones. We, we have to speak in generalizations. 
The Reformed would say, Jesus says, it is finished, your sin is paid for, and it counts for you once you do X, Y, or Z. You invite him in, you say the prayer, you live the life. When I was a kid, I was taught that uh, before I was baptized, you know, uh, baptism is your commitment to God. And if later on in life you've fallen short on your end of the commitment, um, then you just get rebaptized and recommit. My wife has a cousin who's been baptized about 12 times. Uh, because it, you fall short on your end of the deal. If we see it the other way, that it's God's commitment, we never fall short because God doesn't. And we don't need to be rebaptized. We don't need to do anything. Um, instead, we're completely free um, in the grace of, of God. So, I don't know. That's We could talk about that one a long time too, Wayne. But We have freedom. We do. Not guilt. Right. And if we have guilt, we have a way to deal with it too, which is, I think we've talked about it already, confession absolution. To hear, to say, you know, um, I murdered my neighbor yesterday um, and buried their body in my backyard. And I can hear, well, that's a sin that Jesus died for, spoken from a pastor. So I did not murder my neighbor yesterday, but I just wanted to use something kind of extreme to say that forgiveness is even there for that. Questions? I think some people fall into the, the <laughs> grasps of a lot of the churches because I know I went to uh, a Presbyterian church one day just because. Don't ask me why. just was there. And they almost pulled you out of the, the pew to get up to do communion. Yeah. You know? And I, I said no. And when you say no, it's kind of a, yeah. And they'll say, it's okay, right? And it's hard to say, well, it's, it's okay with you. It's not okay with what my confession of faith is. Yeah. Um, I think that's where some people fall short because they don't know. That's why it's so important to be in the Word. And even... And I guess maybe we don't do a very good job of advertising. I don't know if anybody's mentioned it to uh, non-members. You can come up and receive a blessing if you talk to the pastor ahead of time and say, you know, I'm not, I'm almost Lutheran or whatever. <laughs> I'm assuming there, right? I'm almost Lutheran, but I'm not quite yet. Uh, can I come up and receive a blessing? And we, we have all the kids come up and receive a blessing. And that blessing, we think, oh, that's a childish thing. Because for kids, it's not. It's for anyone who's not in our confession of faith yet, but wants to receive God's blessing. We are happy to do that. Lots of times people cross their hands over their, their heart uh, so that they aren't sitting there like this and, and getting the Lord's Supper. So it's, it's hard to advertise that the right way because the people that come in are usually guests, and it's hard to catch all the guests and say, well, you can come up and receive a blessing, but not the Lord's Supper yet, which is why... Perhaps, and um, you know, it's mentioned in our, we have a communion statement in the bulletin each week, and perhaps the best communion statement is, if you're a guest, please visit with the pastor <laughs> before you 
come up for the Lord's Supper so that we can have that conversation one-on-one -on -one with the people. Um, it's, it's difficult to get what we believe in a short little segment there. But that's, that's why we pay our elders big bucks, too, so they can <laughs> catch the people for us. Right, Wayne? Right. <laughs> so, well, next week we'll go into that other one, which is prayer and last things. Um, we'll, we'll mostly focus, I think, on last things. Um, which is eschatology, as Pastor Poppy said earlier, um, the end of the world, uh, which always gets my mind going back to that 90s song, right? It's the end of the world. As I just wanted that in your head. <laughs> all right, should we close the Lord's Prayer? And we'll start that last week. And if we can get through all that next week, which I think we can, uh, I know the preacher next week, and he won't be quite as long. No, just <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, then we'll we'll be at an end. So let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn this off.